0: A very long time ago a very long time ago before I got married. Before I met Julie and after I met the Lord somewhere in there, I was a student in Israel. Not sure how this happened, but somewhere along the line I ended up hiking with a uh, couple of buddies in middle of no nowhere's nowhereville? Nowheresville. Nowheresville, Israel. Pretty sure that's a place. And we came over the crest of a hill, moderate hill, not a mountain, a moderate hill, came over the crest, and there we encountered a goat herd. I'd never seen a goat herd before. I didn't know there was such a thing as a goat herder who could herd goats. Easy for you to say. Uh, but Because I thought goats just went anywhere they wanted to go and ate anything they wanted to eat and were generally hard to maneuver like herding cats. But anyway... Um, this goat herder kept his goats in line by making a, a series of sounds, clicks and whistles, and I'm pretty sure he was calling out their names. And I, I watched this happen, and I was so intrigued, I thought, wow, I, I could do that. Uh, so I made, made a series of clicks and sounds, and no goats came my way. And then I decided to call them by name. I would just, I would try to imitate what I was hearing. Uh, this young man spoke Arabic, I think. I'm not all that vested in languages, but I do have some language training. I had three years of Spanish one in high school. So I'm thinking, you know what, I, I can do this. And I, I tried to call the names of the goats and no goats came my way. So finally, I just decided I would take out my Hershey's chocolate bar Here, Goatsy, Goatsy. Here, Goatsy, Goatsy. No goats came my way. All those goats did was listen to the young herder who was making sounds of clicks and whistles and calling their names. They ignored the dumb American tourist. They just stayed by their guy. They listened to his voice. They went wherever he wanted. And where he wanted them to go, evidently, they went. Maybe, kind of, sort of, Because it took place in Israel. Maybe, kind of, sort of, that's like Jesus using the illustration of a shepherd and applying it to himself and saying he is the great shepherd who shepherds sheep. I'm going to read from uh, John chapter 10 today. First few verses, uh, just one through six for now, but as as I read and as we go through this passage, passage of scripture, look for these attributes of Jesus as shepherd. Number one, Jesus knows you. We'll look at that first, and then Jesus provides a way for you, and then finally we'll see that Jesus died for you, and that's all here in John, chapter ten. Let's read the first six verses. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, the man who does not enter by the uh, sheep, who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize A stranger's voice Jesus used this figure of speech but they did not understand what he was telling them okay it helps us to understand that there is a very clear connection between John chapter 9 and John chapter 10 in fact it's the same event same conversation nothing has stopped other than somebody somewhere along the line inserted a new chapter but we're still in the same event same conversation there is no break it helps us to know that there was an undeniable miracle that occurred on the sabbath that has caused quite a stir jesus healed the eyes of a man born blind he gave sight to a blind guy you would think that'd be reason to say hallelujah let's get excited but wonder what else he can do and maybe he's from god every time um, there is sight well no i shouldn't say every time but when sight is mentioned in the old testament it's a gift from God, Exodus chapter four, and the ability to restore sight, when that is given in the Old Testament, uh, Psalm 146, it is the Lord's work. And, and so they, they, um, they, they, they face this dilemma, the religious leaders, because they're looking at Jesus who gave sight clearly to a man born blind. Now the dilemma is, okay, God gives sight, Jesus gave sight, they don't want to reach the inescapable, inescapable conclusion that Jesus is God. But they can't deny the miracle, and so they're stuck. And so this conversation continues and it's getting more and more tense, and Jesus finally decides to tell them this, more or less, a, a parable. But to make sure we understand the setting, let's back up to John chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus heard that they'd thrown out the man who was born blind that he had healed. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. Boy, that's, that's news to this guy. I mean, that's a new thing for him. You have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. So Jesus brings him to faith. And Jesus took a man who had been physically blind and gave him physically physical sight, but he, at the same time, this was a man who had been spiritually blind, and Jesus gave him spiritual sight. So he came to understand last Sunday that the healing of the man born blind was like a living parable. And then Jesus begins to explain that a little bit, trying to unpack it, and then he speaks a parable of words. Verse six says that, Jesus used this figure of speech that's just like a parable, but they did not understand what he was telling them. So, two things now are going on at the same time. The reality of Jesus being the Son of God is becoming more clear. The offense of Jesus becoming the Son of God is becoming more intense. All they can do is deny the reality that Jesus is the son of God and and we saw that happen in in John chapter 9 so Jesus knows this and that leads to the question well if, if Jesus knows this that that he as he demonstrates and as he claims and he's as he positions himself and presents himself to be the son of God and that makes people mad why do that why not just do that miracle thing and then stop talking Much of the trouble occurs when Jesus follows the miracle with talking because then he doubles down and he presents and he clarifies, I am the son of God. Jesus won't stop talking because he has an appointment with the Roman cross that he is determined to keep for you and for me. And so he will clearly disclose himself to be the son of God. Okay, so let's look at this phrase in verse two. I just want to make sure we pick this up. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. And then also I'm going to read the last part of verse 3. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So the shepherd enters and he, he's looking for his sheep. He calls them by name and he leads them out. This is one of the ways that you know that Jesus died for you. Not for just the world as in a whole lot of people, but specifically for you. Jesus died. For you, in parable form, Jesus tells us or yeah, in parable form, Jesus tells us that He knows your name. In my early days of getting to know Julie before she was my wife, and before even before we were dating. There came a day when uh, she said these magic words to me that just sent me off into blissful heaven. And it was, it was just really simple. It was, hi, Carl. <laughs> wow. you know that just struck, wow. Julie Neal knows my name. <laughs> Julie Neal said, hi. To me, Julie Neal knows my name very important to understand. The shepherd, Jesus Christ, knows your name. Let that sink in for a moment. Jesus knows your name. So when you call to him or respond to him or pray to him, it's not as if he responds out of obligation. Oh, okay, I told God the Father I'd Listen, Jesus knows your name. He delights when you call on Him. Now, here's something important about um, our relationship with Jesus. We understand He knows our name, we are His, we belong to Him. But did you also know there's another side of that equation? This comes to us in what we sometimes call the shepherd's psalm. It begins with those just this easy, easy phrase. The Lord is my shepherd. And I emphasized my because not only do you belong to God, but God belongs to you through relationship with Jesus Christ. He is your God. Jesus is your savior. Jesus is your shepherd. You belong to each other. Okay, so Jesus knows you, and also Jesus provides a way from you. The most familiar connection with Jesus as the way is John 14, 6, and we'll get to that sometime next year. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Got that? but Jesus also spoke of himself as being the way in this teaching and we might have missed it. So let's read through it. Verse seven, we'll start there again. Therefore, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. And you might have a translation that uses the word door I am the door for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved he will come in and go out and find pasture the thief comes only to steal kill and destroy but i have come that they may have life and have it to the full or you might have it as have it abundantly when you think of a a gate or particularly a door you're probably thinking of the thing that swings open We have a number of doors here in the worship center and you can get in and get out. You go through the door. Well, in the ancient world, it helps to understand that particularly, I, I like the translation gate. It's more than the thing that swings open. It's the entire opening. Now, the gate or the door is part of the gate, part of the opening, but it's not the entirety of the opening. You can go to Israel today and see pictures of gates as they call them. There's about seven gates that surround the old city of Jerusalem. Here's just a few. You can see how wide this gate is. A car could get in and out. People walk through the gate. That's how you get into the old city. Now here's an interesting uh, angle. This is another gate and you can see that there's no getting into the city unless you go through the gate. Never mind the thing that swings on a hinge. That entire opening is the gate. And if you look closely uh, to the uh, bottom, a little bit to the right, is the young and lovely Julie Neal, who became Julie Allison. But that is a gate. Here's another gate. You can see people walking in and out of the gate. Again, there's, there's no way to get in unless you go through the gate. Also no way to get, go out. Here's a gate that's sealed. This is the Golden Gate, uh, closest to the Temple Mount, if you know of that area. You definitely want the gate to be open. There's, no, there's nobody going through this gate, and that's why it's, it's closed to block access. Jesus is not the gate as much as the door that swings open, but Jesus is the gate as in the open entryway. If you want to get to God, you go through Jesus. If you want to talk to God, you go through Jesus. If you want to receive life, the abundant life that God offers here in John 10.10, you go through Jesus. He is the gate, the door. The entrance through the gate, through Jesus, is not simply to get in. So I read here, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Again, you might have abundant. I've come that they might have abundant life. Not simply to get in, and sometimes I, I push back in here. Trying to make it clear that getting saved is not getting a ticket to heaven. What Jesus asked for in what we call the Great Commission is uh, a disciple and not a decision. A decision would be more along the line of uh, referring to the moment of salvation and perhaps you're hoping you you did get a ticket to heaven. But a disciple is a lifelong follower of, of Jesus Christ. As you follow Jesus, you come in, you go out of the arena, you find pasture, you find abundance, not in terms of material things, but in terms of a deep, real, and life-changing relationship with God through Jesus Christ. John chapter 10, verse 10 is worth memorizing. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So as the good shepherd, Jesus knows you. Jesus provides a way for you. And Jesus died for you. Let's read the last part of this chapter, John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. And so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I laid down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. The Gentiles are coming in. They, too, will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd, Jew and Gentile, worshiping God alike through Jesus. The reason my Father loves me is that I laid down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Now, I'll finish reading this section with the last three verses. You'll notice how it, it does tie in to uh, John chapter 9. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon possessed and raving mad. You might have a translation that says insane. He is, uh, Why listen to him? They said. But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of, a, of the blind? caring for you, leading you, shepherding you, is not a job or an obligation that Jesus somehow received from the Father that he just simply does because he likes the Father. It's not like Jesus only cares for you because he has to. Jesus wants to be your shepherd, so much so that he laid down his life to be your shepherd. We're going to go to the book of Ezekiel, and I just put some other names of books, so I'm I'm going to ask you to turn to the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, which is worth finding if for for no other reason to find it. And uh, Ezekiel 34 is where we're, we're heading. The major prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, all pronounce judgment on Israel's, shepherds and this is worth tracking down so i want to spend some time reading through ezekiel chapter 34. as i read from ezekiel listen for statements that speak of god's ownership of the flock ezekiel 34 first six verses the word of the lord came to me son of man that's not jesus son of man that's a a name um we're referring to a title, referring to Ezekiel. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Wow, that's strong. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel only who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? Yeah, you eat the curds. You clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not care for the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. And so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My my sheep wandered over all the mountains on every high hill they were scattered over the the whole earth and no one searched for them or looked for them. Jump down to verse nine. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds, and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed them, can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths, and it will no longer be food for them. Jump down to verse 11 and notice the word I that God uses in this next section. He will refer to sheep a lot and he'll use the word I starting with verse 11. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they are scattered on, on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel and in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend to them in a good pasture, and mountain heights of Israel will be be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel." I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Lord, uh, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and give strength to the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Did you notice the use of the word I? God views these sheep as belonging to him, and he wants not bad shepherds. He wants real shepherds. In contrast to the bad shepherds of Israel, Jesus showed up and literally said, I am the shepherd, the good. In other words, I am the one you have been waiting for. Now how would they ever know that? What are the markers of the good shepherd that they would be waiting for? Are there any markers in Ezekiel that could somehow point to Jesus Christ as being the one that God sent to finally? Finally, shepherd his people in a good and godly way. There is, verse 23. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. And he will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. God gave us a marker to identify the shepherd who is coming. And that's this reference to David. And that's our tie to Christmas. I love so many things about Christmas, but one of the reasons why I like Christmas so much is that we get to spend time reviewing the Christmas story as it's recorded in the Bible. And when I use the word story, I don't mean it's a piece of fiction, I mean it's just the narrative, the, the account that was written down there are two infancy narratives in the bible one's in matthew and one is in david both of them make it very clear that jesus is of the line and family lineage of of david so here's from here's from uh the gospel of matthew who by the way does a very excellent job tracing the lineage of, of uh, jesus christ through the line of david but but here's this statement that uh the angel spoke to joseph the earthly dad of jesus in the gospel of matthew joseph son of david aha the the line the lineage of david joseph son of david do not be afraid to take mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the holy spirit luke records the angelic visitation to mary and includes these words The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Okay, I'm turning back to John chapter 10. So if you're turning pages or if you have a device, please get back to John chapter 10. Jesus affirmed all of this mention of uh, David with regard to a shepherd that is coming. He affirmed that when he said, I am the good shepherd. That means Jesus is the one who is prophesied in the old covenant. Jesus was and is the one sent by God to shepherd his people. Now that shepherd, shepherd motif continued on past the, uh, the earthly life of Jesus Christ well into the early church and all the way through to today. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we're told that Jesus is the chief shepherd, and elders are the shepherds who oversee the church, but they are under the chief shepherd of Jesus Christ. Hebrews calls Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep. When we get to the end of the Gospel of John, which might seem to you to be two years from now, but it won't be all that long. When we get to the end of the Gospel of John, we'll notice an encounter that the risen Lord Jesus Christ had with Peter. And, and Jesus says three times, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep, he says to Peter. When the Apostle Paul was traveling to Jerusalem um, on a journey where he, he was uh, entirely sure that this would be his last journey that that they, there would be events that would uh culminate with the end of his life paul stopped in ephesians and he met with the elders at the church in ephesus and he said this to them keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the holy spirit has made you overseers be shepherds of the church of god which he bought with his own blood Sometimes we have in in this world, in our church uh, universal today, sometimes we have bad shepherds. And that's hard, and that's heavy. But please don't let that discount the fact that God has many, many, many good shepherds who tend his people and care for the flock that belongs to God. Well, Jesus himself gave us another distinguishing mark of the good shepherd, and he did so in contrast with the, um, the hired hand. Let's look at this again, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So Jesus is contrasting between the hired hand, and actually in verse 8 he says there were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Still there's thieves and robbers that are out there, it seems, and there are hired hands who do it for a living or do it for a vocation and are perhaps nowhere to seen when, when things get hard and heavy. Now, here's something to, that's um, easy to overlook, so I want to point this out. When Jesus said he had authority to lay down his life for people, Jesus was gladly agreeing to the terms of the contract. Jesus would lay down his life for the sins of people. And Jesus said, I have authority to do this. I have authority to lay down my life and take care of your sin penalty. And I have authority to take up my life again. No one else has this kind of authority. No one else is authorized to die for the sins of another or to give resurrection life to those who follow him. So if there's going to be any claim to salvation by a person, a group, or a body of teaching, please mark this in comparison to the Bible, Jesus has set the bar. That person or that group or even that body of teaching would somehow need to have the authority to die for the sins of people and then the authority to pick up that life again. No one, no one else has the authority to make such a claim. Now, I've mentioned to you many times that John 3.16 is my favorite verse. You would think um, someone who's been in pastoral ministry for a very long period of time could be more creative than that. Oh, but it's so foundational and so simple as far as i know john 3:16 was the only verse that i had ever heard of before i came to christ okay i gotta admit it was the football games and the guy with the sign and and but one day i, I looked that up i managed to find a, a, a bible in our house king james and somehow in the a collage of john's in the bible i managed to find john 3:16. not the only not the easiest thing in the world to find But I did find it, and I I read that, and he knew it had something to do with God and the world. And it says this, For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The day God won a victory for me was when I realized it wasn't just the world as in a glob of nameless, faceless people. But God so loved me. In fact, you could personalize it by putting your own name in there. God so loved Carl that he gave his only... God so loved Julie that he gave his only son. So that if Julie believes in him, Julie would not perish. Julie would have everlasting life. God so loved Tyler and Lauren and Emery and Reagan. God so loved Trent and Kylie. God so loved Taylor and Katie. See how that goes? Okay, let's try that then, out loud. Um, I'll say the verse, you say your name. Go ahead and say the verse with me, but when I get to world, you say your name. Say it out loud. I want you to hear, hear yourself say that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. you hear your name in there? Jesus died for you, not for a glob of people who are nameless and faceless to him, but for you. And he was delighted to do that. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, it is because he has called you and you have responded to him. It's not like one day you decided, Oh, it's all about me. Hey God, get ready. Here I come. God called you by name, individually, personally, intimately, and you responded to him on an average, ordinary, everyday basis. Jesus calls you to follow him still. Will you do that? This week, spend time with the Savior who came here to lay down his life as your good shepherd. Spend time with him. Let's pray together. Our great and glorious God, we we pause for a moment just to marvel at what not only what is recorded in the pages of scripture but to marvel at your son our savior jesus christ the good shepherd thank you that you loved us so much that you just couldn't resist you had to send jesus here to die for us to take care of our sin problem and offer to us life that is truly life Abundant life. Perhaps you're here this morning, my friends, and um, you sense a distance from God. You can talk to him about that. Or it's been a while since you even thought about God and you on a personal relationship level. You can talk to him about that right now as well. And I'll just give you a moment to sit in the presence of God in silence. Jesus, thank you for your ministry of shepherding us. You know exactly where to go. You know the way and you come get us when we run out to the side, to the left, or to the right, or behind, or stubbornly refuse to even move our feet. Thank you that you just continue that process of leading us, leading us, calling us, beckoning us to come and follow you. This Christmas season, we want more of you, Jesus, and less of ourselves to be prominent in our thinking. Just a bit more time in your word and time with you in prayer. Help us to accomplish that Thank you, God, for giving us the best shepherd ever. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.